we now welcome Caitlin Shea onto Hoopsology. She is the executive producer of ABC TV's Australian Story Program and uncovered the story of Luke Longley. How's it going, Caitlin? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming on to the show. And as we're talking about off air, um, Matt and I were natives of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And as you know, Luke Longley um, was a huge member of the New Mexico Lobos back in the 80s and kind of in the early 90s has like a soft spot in our hearts. So um, your documentary along with just going over the entire um, basketball career and his post career of Luke Longley, uncovered a lot of just great footage of this the lobos back in in the 80s which you know matt and i we've never seen before so that was cool to see um before we tackle that um i wanted to ask you caitlin when you were first handed just this assignment and just you know coming up with just the game plan in terms of formulating this story what was going through your mind what was kind of kind of the the layout in terms of how this all came together Well, I watched The Last Dance like millions of other people and really loved it and hadn't intended to because, you know, I didn't really know that I enjoyed basketball so much. And just at some point I went, I recognise that guy, that tall red-headed guy. That's that Australian Luke Longley. And I hadn't thought about him for decades, to be honest. He was kind of a big deal in Australia, but because it was the 90s and he was in Chicago, we didn't really have the internet like we have now. And I don't even think you could watch the games in Australia. Someone tells me that you had to buy the VHS recordings or something like that. You know, he was well known, but he was in a different kind of league, someone that we didn't quite relate to that well. And then I think the way his career ended, that he just kind of came back to Australia, slipped under the radar and didn't make a big deal about himself. We'd kind of forgotten about him. So I watched The Last Dance and went, I'm interested in that guy. I'm interested in that guy's story. He isn't featured in The Last Dance. I'm going to see if he's got a story to tell. So I got our researcher, Vanessa, to track down a number for him. I didn't realise at that stage that he had been overwhelmed with media coverage of people saying to him, why aren't you in the last dance? This is outrageous. He'd actually changed his phone number. Uh, he'd been swamped by that. And and it taken quite a few months to kind of go, do I want to tell my story? What is my story? Uh, and what's the best vehicle for that? So I came along, you know, a few months after that wave had swept through and just quite na- naively said, hi, I work for, with Australian Story. We have a really good reputation in Australia. We produce half an hour of really high quality content every week that goes to air on ABC TV, which is a bit like the BBC, um, the the national broadcaster. It's funded out of taxpayer dollars. And we have a real reputation of producing high quality content, but also treating people with real respect. So in many ways, I think he'd been waiting for Australian Story to, to call him. So I come along and say, you know, would you be interested in from that first conversation that we had way back in July 2020, he just told me this story. He just took the floor over the Zoom link and just told me this story about this really gentle alternative giant of a man who just happened to be really coordinated and good at basketball, who'd kind of stumbled into basketball, ended up being really good at it. But the higher he went, had to change his personality to fit in and and then he ends up 
in the bulls with Michael Jordan and the unique personality that is Michael Jordan and has to really change himself. And then he realizes that all those changes that he made once his basketball career was over, maybe they didn't quite fit well with him. And he has to spend a lot of time unlearning that stuff to kind of become this full circle story of coming back to the person that he was before he started that journey. So as a storyteller, and somebody who loves people's stories, not necessarily sports stories, that just appealed to me on so many levels. It was a full circle. It had beginning, a middle, and end. It had the unique personalities of Scotty Pippen. And, yeah, Scotty will do a story. You know, Pip will do a story. I'll do, do an interview with you, Luke says. Yes, Steve, he's still one of my best friends. He'll do a story. Oh, Phil Jackson, he's, he's, he's my mentor. He's like a father to me. He'll do an interview with you. It's just like, oh, my goodness, you know, all these really, really big names that would come on board to help tell Luke's story. And it was like, yeah, I think I think if I ask Michael Jordan, Michael will probably do an interview with you as well. So for me as a long-term storyteller, somebody who's been making narrationless television for 25 years, it was really appealing on so many levels. And the game plan, which was the point of your original question, was just to knock off these interviews as quickly as we could. But, of course, COVID intervened. And the COVID experience in Australia is very different to the COVID experience that you guys have had in the state. So that really made things very, very difficult. What were the particular challenges that you encountered, um, COVID-related and not COVID-related, just in terms of the interviews that you were able to get? Because um, this listening to the behind the scenes of the last dance. I know, for instance, Phil Jackson, he was really hard to get an interview with, even though they actually scheduled that time. I mean, he wasn't the most friendliest, I think, you know, getting that interview for the last dance documentary, but it seemed like it was completely easy um, with you guys getting that interview. So what was it like, you know, you know, conducting those interviews with those players, especially since they've already kind of been through it already with the last dance? Yeah. Well, look, um, I think Phil was the first person I contacted and I Luke gave me his phone number. So I sent him a text and he was like, yeah, sure thing. And I think we spoke the next day and we spoke for a long time and he was completely on board, completely. I didn't have any trouble at all. It was just a matter of me actually coming back to him with a time and place for that interview. And what had happened was, um, was that what makes it difficult in Australia is probably what you guys don't realise is we're a country with many different states and every state, I'm in Queensland, Luke's in Western Australia and really quickly on, Western Australia in particular just slammed shut its border. If you were from any other state, you were not allowed in there and I didn't want to do interviews with other people Phil and Steve and co or anybody really, until I'd done that main anchoring interview with Luke, until I knew how far Luke was prepared to go on camera. Just seems disrespectful really that you have to do that. But that border was closed and I just could not physically fly in there. And we had a point, I think, in January where finally those borders were open. Don't forget that we had our first conversation in, in I think it was July 2020, January 2021, those borders were now open. But then where I live got caught up in this short-term lockdown and they slammed, Western Australia slammed shut the, um, the borders again and then there was another opportunity to, to go and interview Luke in Western Australia. But his wife became very sick. So it was just all these obstacles. But finally we worked out a plan 
I think it might have been about February, that he was allowed to fly into Brisbane. I couldn't fly over there, but he could come to Queensland where, where I live. So we flow, flew him to Brisbane and we did the interview with him in Brisbane. It was about a three and a half hour interview. And then he was flying down to Melbourne to work with the basketball team that he works with the Sydney Kings. And then I was able to fly down to Melbourne and do a little bit more filming with him. That scene of him and his daughter watching the last dance on television, the scene of him training with the Sydney Kings. So I would always text Luke and say, I've got 500 pieces of the 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle that we're, work, that we're building. You know, that interview with him was only three and a half hours, but it gave us those 500 pieces. And then once I had that in the can, it became about, okay, now we can start to extend and we can do the other interviews. But I'm the executive producer of Australian Story, so I don't go out on the road producing stuff. This was like a side passion project for me, something that I was so keen to do. I'm normally so chained to my desk, but I so wanted to produce this story. So it became very difficult for me finding time to actually do everything that I needed to do because, as you would appreciate, the logistics of interviews across on the other side of the world, it's really difficult to coordinate. Come about April, my co-producer, Greg Hassel, finished the story he was working on. He came on board and helped me, and he just then hit it really hard. He set up all the logistics for all the interviews. He would just say to me, you're doing your interview with Phil Jackson at this time, Generally, it was like five o'clock in the morning, my time to fit in with, you know, your time over there. And um, and so then we just really started slamming through those interviews very, very quickly. Um, Scotty Pippen was a little bit hard to get a hold of. Um, Luke had to kind of, you know, put a little bit of pressure on him to sort of lock him down. But eventually we um, locked him down. Steve Kerr was excellent. But it was very hard to kind of crack through the COVID bubble that was surrounding the Golden State Warriors. So we had to actually interview him over Zoom and use their team camera person because they weren't allowing anybody in, into that COVID bubble. And then I think come about May, the border came down between Queensland and Western Australia and I flew to Denmark, WA, and to Perth um, where I did all the interviews with Luke's family, Luke's friends, went down to Denmark, did all that filming with Luke and then with his wife, Anna. So by that stage there, we virtually had 90% of what we needed. The big question was, well, where are we going to get Michael Jordan and you know that was the thing that we knew that we didn't need Michael Jordan for this story that Luke had an awesome enough story to tell the story without Michael Jordan we just knew it would be better with Michael Jordan and that we would get more eyeballs on it and it would be a richer human story to hear what Michael Jordan had to say. Yeah it felt um, in in many ways and I, I won't spoil anything for those listening um who who haven't seen it, but it felt like um, kind of a, a really beautiful closure uh, that you get in that in that documentary. Really um, great to watch. Uh, for you as a, a storyteller, was it pretty much Luke as as the central character that was most compelling and that you were most um, most passionate about pursuing this project for? Um, what were some of the other factors? Was it also like the characters on the '90s Bulls? Um, what, what were the factors that really motivated you to take this on as a side project? I think it was like I produce content for an Australian audience. That's my first and foremost responsibility. So it was definitely about Luke's personal story. 
But I knew that there would be a lot of eyeballs out there for people who'd watched The Last Dance. Um, and, you know, Chicago Bulls fans who remembered Luke and probably would have been interested in his story. So I knew that I was making the story for two audiences, that I was making it for an Australian audience and I was making it for a, a specialised basketball audience too. So it was about finding the common ground between those two audiences. That was why, for example, we start the documentary not really mentioning basketball, not showing any pictures of basketball, but we focused on what was the universal thing, the fact that Luke is a giant, he's seven foot two, and all the difficulties that that poses for Luke, but also the tremendous gift that that was for Luke in terms of his career. So I tried to focus on that universal just because I know that there would have been a lot of middle-aged women like me tuning in for Australian Story going, I don't want to watch a whole hour on basketball. So I had to engage them with Luke's character and those universals of Luke's story. But in the same vein for the basketball audience that was going to tune in who wanted some hardcore basketball, they wanted a bit of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson, that they wanted all of that very close to the top of that story and to entice them with that. And I knew that they wouldn't be getting that until kind of the last, you know, five, ten minutes of part one. It was important to sort of turbocharge the story in that way with that vision in what we call that second prologue. So there's a lot of competing factors going on there to try and engage both kinds of, of audiences. But I was really happy. I felt that we found a common ground through that just because Luke's is a kind of universal story. Absolutely. I, I wanted to get your perspective uh, as as an Australian. What was the basketball scene like there growing up and kind of what is what is your perception as maybe someone who's not a diehard basketball fan or, or at least initially? Um, what is your perception of basketball in Australia right now? Look, this is the thing, is that I don't follow basketball in Australia. Um, I know that we have um, teams like that, so that every every state or every capital city has, has its team. We have the Brisbane Bullets and we have the Sydney Kings and that sort of thing. And I think that there is a strong competition there. But I know that a lot of Australians still follow the NBA because we have a lot of Australian players in the NBA. Patty Mills and guys like that who were so pivotal in our, you know, bronze medal win yeah. in the Olympics. So I think that there is this kind of, you know, there's obviously a big basketball scene in Australia, but I tell you what, I reckon most of those guys who love basketball in Australia never watch Australian Story. And that was probably the most gratifying thing for me is on Twitter being contacted, into, you know, personally by so many young men who are like, thank you so much for doing a story that we're interested in on Australian Story and we can't, you know, thank you enough for telling Luke's story, somebody that they had really wanted to, to know about. So I'm probably not the right person to ask about basketball in Australia, in all honesty. Luke Longley came off as such a sweetheart of a guy um, in the documentary, just somebody just, just a pleasure to talk to. But I wanted to ask you in terms of kind of one of the main points of the documentary towards the end, it goes into detail as to why Luke wasn't prominently featured, you know, in the, the last dance. And it, it kind of hit Matt and I both because we grew up watching Luke Longley. We have the New Mexico global connection. And I just want to ask you, does he harbor any 
not resentment, but just kind of like, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the word is, but for Luke himself, does he ever, did he ever express to you any signs of just curiosity or just wanting more of a reason why the, the makers of the last dance didn't make more of an effort to reach out to him just due to not only him, his effect on the actual team, but also his connection to the other players, because, you know, Luke Longley wasn't somebody on the end of the bench. He was a pivotal role on those championship teams and had really intimate connections with several members of that squad that lasts to this day. So it was very perplexing why not only he was an interview, but as he said in a documentary, he was basically kind of edited out <laughs> in terms of does his entire role on the team i have a few theories and a few thoughts on this and first and foremost i spoke to jason hayer i think that's how you pronounce his surname the director of the last dance and look i was very conscious of the fact i thought it was brilliant what jason did you know as somebody who makes narrationless television weaving together those multiple storylines the way he did i was just in in awe of that and i understand as a director that you can't necessarily have everybody and you make choices about who's in, who's out. I do it every single day. I think from Jason's perspective, there are a few things against Luke in that he was a long way away. And um, and also I think, and from what Jason told me, they, they did contact Luke. And, you know, this is typical Luke. Luke was like, yeah, sure, I'll be involved. But he wouldn't have been jumping out of his seat to be involved. He's a really, really modest man. He is not somebody who wants to kind of push himself in front of the camera. He just would have been, he, he would have been too cool for that. So um, I just feel like there would have, Jason wouldn't have got, I think, a, a a hyper-enthusiastic response from Luke. I think Luke wanted to be in it and I think that he probably didn't realise by not jumping out of his skin and showing enthusiasm that that, that that might have gone against him. I can understand from Jason's perspective too, you know, they're filming this 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 such high-quality Netflix doco. You want every interview to look fantastic. Maybe Jason thought, oh, if I get a local crew in out of, you know, Denmark, Western Australia, maybe it won't look good, good enough. I also think that Luke kind of went, oh, sorry, that Jason went, Luke's a modest, unassuming guy. He probably won't light up the screen with what he's got to say, you know. He probably won't be what we call in the business good talent. And I think that's where Jason was wrong because I think Luke is, is really good talent and I think... I think as Steve Kerr said, I think it would have been quite interesting what Luke would have brought to that documentary and the insights that Luke would have had on that. From Luke's perspective and what Luke's told me, Luke's like Luke's like this up and down. Some minutes he's like, I get why they didn't include me. I'm just a low-key Aussie. I wasn't one of the stars of the team. I was there to make all the other guys look better. I, I don't need to be the centre of attention. But what prompted him to want to tell his story was, but hang on, I was the starting centre of this really pivotal, you know, and played a pivotal role in this team. And all my colleagues on that team acknowledged that. 
And they're all sad for me and they would have liked me to have been in it and I would have liked to have been in it in some form. I was never going to be a starry star, but I would have liked to have been in it. So I think that they are two extremes that Luke wrestles with it. On some days I think he was pissed, on other days I think he was cool. But uh, it was those kind of extremes that um, that Luke found himself caught in the middle of, of and what he found probably most difficult was people ringing him up saying, aren't you really upset that you aren't in it? Oh, this is such a travesty. I think that that was difficult for him too. But, you know, he got a whole hour on Australian Story because of it so and got to tell his full story, which he would have never done on The Last Dance. It kind of uh, oddly seems consistent with his character in the documentary that the thing that gets him motivated uh, to share his story is, you know, teammates and and those people around him. Um that, that's great. Um, I wanted to follow up on that with the other side of that too, which is, you know, MJ, of course, had a lot of control over the last dance and, and the footage that was released on that. Did you have the sense, um, I mean, it sounds like like MJ was gracious um, and, and uh, you know, you guys got to interview him, of course, he's in the documentary. Was what was your sense of maybe some of this being based on guilt that that Luke wasn't featured prominently in in the last dance or maybe not even prominently, but just not um, one of those even side roles like on the level of Steve Kerr? You know, I had no idea what um, Michael Jordan was going to say. You just don't know. You have your list of questions. But I was pretty shocked when he expressed a sense of regret that Luke wasn't in it, and not just Luke, there's probably a whole lot of other people on that team that probably should have been acknowledged more than they were. I was really surprised by that because I just just wasn't sure what he was going to say. So I think it did, I did think at that time that I was listening to that, I wonder if he does feel a little bit guilty about it. I wonder if he's copped some flack from people along the way. This is just my supposition about it all, that maybe he saw this as a good opportunity to potentially correct that record somewhat. Can I say, I'm I'm not sure what level of control Michael Jordan had over The Last Dance. I understand it was quite a lot. He had no control over our content whatsoever. We just treated him like any other interviewed talent, which is with, with respect, we listen to you with, you know, what you've got to say. We try and create an environment where we're going to get the best out of you. And... I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but Luke called me up a couple of hours before that interview when I was feeling really nervous. It was like, oh, holy shit, I'm interviewing Michael Jordan. (laughs) Oh, my God, you know. I just was so nervous about it all and he's a big deal, you know. And I Googled him. He's, you know, $1.6 billion empire. It's just little old me from Australia, you know. And so I was really nervous and Luke was killing himself laughing. He thought that was so funny that I was so nervous. And I was also very worried that he was going to pull out at any stage that he could go, oh, that's just shitty old Australian television. I don't need to be involved in that. But Luke had said, no, 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 he's a professional. He'll be there. And Luke has a bit of an expression with me. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but. And he was like, look, (laughs) this man, he is a professional. He knows what he wants to say. You do not need to back him into a corner and hit him really hard with questions. Why didn't you include Luke? You know, why were you so mean to Luke? You know, all of this sort of stuff. 
just let him speak, create, create an environment where he knows that he is going to be listened to and that he is going to get to have his say. And, um, you know, and I felt that that was really good advice. Not that I was going to back him into a corner. That, that is not my style. But it really resonated with me that just let this man speak and he, he will tell you what you need to hear is what Luke's advice was. And it was really, really good advice. What is your perception of what I, I know it's it's only been out uh, for weeks now at this point. Uh, do you have a, a sense of how Luke and others from the Bulls and, and from the basketball community, um, how it may have changed or been impactful uh, with regards to their relationships with each other? Well, I heard look, Luke was thrilled with it all. It was a big deal for Luke putting his personal story, you know, a story that he had kept so close to his chest for two decades or more. It was a big deal putting it out there. His personal things like his his marriage breakup, you know, all of those sorts of things. So he was pretty concerned about that, but he was so thrilled with the final product. And that was really nice. You know, I don't make this story for Luke. I make this story for my audience. But you try and take your talent with you and you try and have no nasty surprises. And he was just really happy with it all. He said that, you know, I spoke to him a couple of days after um, the story went to air. He said that Steve Kerr had loved it. I thought it was hilarious when he was taking the piss out of little little baby Stevie in that little babushka <laughs> scene that we did there at the start of part two. Uh, he said that, um, uh, is it Jed Bushler? I'm a J- uh-huh. uh, well, Judd Bushler yeah. had contacted him to say that he felt it had righted the balance somewhat of those guys who'd missed out on being in the last dance. Uh, I think he just swapped a couple of texts with Phil Jackson, who'd been happy to. That's as far as I know. I haven't checked in with Luke for for 10 days or so. Um, But he was going to email Michael Jordan to say thanks for participating and to sort of, you know, see what Michael thought about it all. Awesome. In in interviewing all all these players and coaches and and people involved in Luke's career, what what's kind of your sense of the camaraderie uh, between these guys in in the sports world? I mean, I, I think clearly it seems between MJ and Luke Longley, like they they have this sort of brothers in arms, so to speak, kind of relationship with each other. But um, what what's kind of your sense in the camaraderie that maybe this this NBA lifestyle um, brings among these men? I thought it was so telling, and a lot of people said this on Twitter, that the fact that Scotty and Phil and MJ, you know, and Steve were all prepared to do an interview with, an, with Australian television about Luke to give up their time when they're all busy guys, I think it showed so much about the respect that Luke has held in, how much that they love him as a friend, but also how much they respected him on the court. And I thought that that spoke volumes. What I liked about our story, which I didn't get in the last dance, was that sense of they were in the middle of this iconic franchise, I think Steve Kerr calls it. Mm-hmm. But here they were. You saw them socialising. You saw them having Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve dinner together. 
and you saw that that social interaction that they had that they that they only had each other and their families in the midst of that crazy time that they were going through and how much they relied on each other for that social connection too Michael Jordan wasn't a part of that and you know I I spoke to Michael Jordan about that but I thought that that spoke volumes too and I and I, I you know and I think it's really pivotal in that last answer of Michael Jordan's and this is something that I know that Luke feels too is that they were in the trenches together that they would have done no matter how they felt about each other whether they liked each other on or off the court they would have done anything for for each other because that's what you had to do to actually win those three championships and I thought that 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 connection came across loud and clear and I thought that that was a really interesting part of our story. I have to ask. This is this is a bit uh, pivoting in a different direction, but um, several of our listeners are native New Mexicans, um, and, and I'm from New Mexico. Justin was um, raised here in New Mexico as well. Um, did you get any any sense of Luke's feelings towards the state of New Mexico? I mean, I know there are parts in the documentary which I think are completely accurate. That I, I believe it's one of his brothers, you know, kind of mentions Luke as a big fish in a small pond, which I, I think is a hundred percent accurate. He, for a while there, maybe even still to present day, was the leading scorer uh, for the New Mexico Lobos uh, in in the school's history. Um, did you get any uh, further perspective, maybe that wasn't in the documentary? towards how Luke felt about New Mexico? Oh, he just loved it. You know, I, I just think he felt so much fondness for it. You know, it was a really, really pivotal time in his life. You know, he just he just absolutely loved it. And he was so keen for us to make a really big deal about that part of his life. And he was thrilled at how much, how long we spent on the Lobos days in, as part of his career because it was so important for him at that time. That was where he learnt so much and he talks about, you know, beating himself into shape to come to become the person that they needed him to be. No, no, they were really, really incredibly significant years for him. He was very keen for us to put that in the story. Awesome. I, I have to ask uh, as well, just as, you know, speaking to someone who's interviewed Michael Jordan, um, I, I, I know you guys have a fantastic team there, but uh, how easy was it to reach MJ? How easy was it to to set up that interview and, and kind of gain access to who many consider to be the GOAT in the sport of basketball? Yeah. Well, look, it wouldn't have happened without Luke. So I had been in contact. I think Jason Hayer had given me Michael Jordan's manager's contact details. So I'd contacted her, let her know what we were doing right from the start of the process um, and told her that we'd be coming to her with a formal pitch to um, Michael Jordan about Luke's uh, story once we'd kind of got further down the track. So once we kind of had started filming and we'd started you know, probably started scripting. We then went back to um, Estee and said, here's our formal pitch. We'd love Michael Jordan to be involved. And we got a very polite, thanks, but no good luck with your documentary kind of response. And, you know, I think it had just, I'm not sure what happened, but I know that Luke was super keen for Michael Jordan to be involved. And I know that he went directly to to Michael because they have um 
they swapped a fair few emails. Um, Luke had said to me that they'd had a, quite a warm relationship over the years and, you know, had made plans to actually connect up a few years ago. Luke couldn't get to Florida because he got stuck in New York because of a snowstorm in New York, blah blah So they'd actually, mm. they'd kind of been a um, thawing of, of their relationship somewhat. So he went direct to uh, Michael, said, it would really mean a lot for you if you're in this. Michael said yes straight away. And then I tell you what, the machine just kicked in behind Michael Jordan. I think we set up a time for about four weeks in advance, which was about two weeks before our first part one was going to air. And the machine kicked in. They organised that the golf course was going to be closed for the day. The security detail kicked in. We had We hired a crew very good crew out of Miami. They had to all be, you know, security and COVID shots and that sort of stuff. And then it all just happened like clockwork. It was absolutely seamless. I just clicked onto my Zoom link at 10.30. Michael Jordan walks into shot. He's he's briefed. He knows what we're talking about. And he's immediately from the get-go super friendly, super vibed, super friendly, super keen to be there. And I really felt... I really felt through the course of the interview that his enthusiasm about being there um, increased through through the course of it all, that he actually more and more got in into the vibe of it all and talking about Luke and having a bit of a laugh about Luke and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was it was really fantastic. Yeah, it did seem I, you you did such a great job getting him to to open up and share uh, some really intimate stories uh, about his time with Luke Longley that are in the documentary. Um, really appreciate your time, Caitlin, and, and being on the show. Justin, if you can hear us, apologies, you guys, There, there's a bit of technical difficulty that you might not um, know about unless you're seeing this on YouTube. But uh, Justin, did you have um, another question for Caitlin? I did. No, I'm sorry. I lost power. <laughs> um, in my power went out of his house. Power out I was yeah, wondering why you disappeared. It threw me for a little bit. Yeah. Some, uh, some technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Just, uh, to, but um, I uh, thank Matt for uh, doing a great job. I don't have any more questions, Matt. If you give us a wrap. Yeah, absolutely. Caitlin, please, um, please plug for our listeners and our viewers uh, what projects you have going on and where they can check out uh, the wonderful content you're doing for ABC. Oh, well, thank you, guys. Well, look, as I said at the start, um, our program's called Australian Story. Um, we, we basically do pro profiles of Australians, some people you would have heard of. We did a big story about Paul Hogan a couple of years ago, another famous Australian expat. Often they're just kind of, um, you know, people that you would have never heard of, but always people with really extraordinary um, stories to tell. So people can, you know, check out our YouTube channel. All of our programs from the last few years or so are on uh, the ABC TV in-depth YouTube channel. So just look for Australian Story and you'll find plenty of contact there. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Caitlin. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I mean, just I would say congratulations on uh, that fantastic production with that documentary. And I, and I really mean that. I uh, was super impressed by it. As, as someone who was a giant fan of The Last Dance, uh, and of course, you know, I have to state my bias that yes, I am a Lobo fan, but really, 
I, I do think I would echo your sentiments as a storyteller. It's it's just such a compelling story to peer into the life of Luke Longley and and his whole narrative and upbringing and development as a human being. I, I think it was just a fantastic work. So, um, so thank you so much again. And uh, we will look forward to keeping an eye on your content. Well, many thanks for your time. I, I really enjoyed talking about this story. It was a really, it was a passion pro project for me. So I'm very, very happy to talk about it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. Excellent. Thanks, guys.